Let's have another big round of applause for our band, the Inflatable T-Rex Costumes. Let's hear it for them. You know what I'm talking about? Those things? I think that's hilarious. They've been around for a few years now. Just watching like the kids coming to trick-or-treat, doing a little thing. Did you like that reenactment? That was for friends at home. Everybody at home, that reenactment was for you. Let's give them a round of applause. Everybody participating in worship at home. Thank you for being there. Thank you for being here live. We are talking about money. Uh, we are in part two of a series called Money Matters. And if you looked at the back of your bulletin, you will know that today's message is called The Tithing Sermon. Wait for it. Did you hear that sound? That's the sound of a dozen people around Delaware County turning off our live stream. Is that it? No, no, you're still with us, and we're all still together, and nobody walked out that door. We're talking about tithing today, and we're excited about it. We're ready to hear about it. Um, to go back to last week, when we started out our series, uh, we talked about the fact that as the church, as a local church, um, we, who are the members of the church, we are the people that carry the financial responsibility of the church. That's our burden to carry, and that's just how it should be. And that might seem intuitive, that might seem to make sense, but sometimes we local churches, we stumble over this fact. And sometimes inadvertently, we go to the community and say, hey, can you support us? Can you think of us as a charity and support our ministry to you? That's not how it should be. Those of us who are believers, those of us who are part of the movement, those of us who are members of a local church, we are the ones that carry the financial responsibility of the local church, and that's how it works here at Hope. And today, as I mentioned, we're going to get into this whole thing of tithing. Now, um, to define that term, tithe, the tithe is 10%, and so tithing is to give back 10% of your income to God. And so traditionally over the years, since there's been this thing called the church, uh, people who are members of churches, they give 10% of their income back to the local church. Again, that's how we take on the financial burden of the church. And so um, how I first learned about the tithe was through my local church. Um, I grew up going to church. I was a church kid, and... um, you know, didn't have, you know, nothing but positive experiences. There were some, some rough experiences along the way, but overall, had a lot of positive experiences growing up in church, um, and I had a lot of role models to look up to in the local church. Uh, that's how it is when you're growing up in a church. As a kid, as a teenager, you look to the examples of other people. <clears throat> how are these other people who are not only older than me, but further along in life, further along in following Jesus, how do they do this Christianity thing? How do they handle parenting? How do they handle career? How do they handle their finances? And so we look to these examples to learn how to live out our faith. That's really how that is. And so I was very fortunate growing up to have some positive role models, um, to look to certain people, to how they handle different aspects of life. And in terms of finances, I had five role models specifically, five guys that I looked up to that really seemed to know what they were doing when it came to managing their money, okay? And so I looked up to these guys, like, how, how are they doing what they're doing there? Now, these five guys, they all had a few things in common. Uh, they were all family men. They were husbands and fathers, and it seemed like they were able to provide for their children. Um, these were all guys that were like career guys, that they, they picked a career and, and really were able to stick with it. They didn't bounce from job to job, and so there was some security there, and I looked up to that. Um, these are all guys that, and this is a little bit weird, but, but they seemed to be living within their means, if not below their means, right? And that's kind of a weird thing to ask somebody, hey, how much money do you make? You know, you don't do that. You don't do that. But it's like, I know what kind of job you have, and I've got a sense of what kind of money you make, and yet you live in that kind of house, and you drive that kind of car. And so you'd see, like, people living within their means, which is really kind of 
countercultural nowadays. People always extend beyond their means. But you see guys living within their means, maybe even living below their means. And so these five guys all had that in common. The other thing that these five guys had in common is that they were all tithers. They all did this thing of tithing. They all practiced this discipline of tithing. And so I followed that example. And from the first time I started making money, first paycheck I got, I just followed that example and gave that 10% back to God through the local church. And to some degree, I feel like that was a big advantage in my life that I started from the beginning. It's easier to start right at the beginning than to have to like go through life and you start a career and you build up money and you start to budget for other things and then to take on tithing is different. And so that was a real blessing. And so that's just how, this is how life works. Before I read about tithing in Scripture, before I'd even read the Bible for myself, before Bible college, before seminary, I just followed the example of others. And when it comes to money, that's what we do. Our perspective of money is shaped by the our lives. We can read Scripture, we can read, you know, we can read the Bible and study what the Bible has to say about money, we can read other financial books, we can learn all this stuff, but initially, at first, the way our thinking is shaped about money is by the other people in our lives. And so if we have good examples, we're very fortunate. But if we don't have good examples of how to manage our money, eh, that's a different story. We're going to have to relearn some things or unlearn some bad habits and pick up some good habits as we get older and as we mature. Now, when I went to the Bible to learn about tithing, I discovered the history of it and how it starts in the Old Testament, what the New Testament principles are concerning tithing. So let me give you, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a brief history of tithing, how this whole thing came to be. We're going to start with the Old Testament and see where we land, okay? So let's go all the way back to the very beginning. We're going back to the book of Genesis, okay? In the book of Genesis, we learn about Adam, we learn about Eve, and they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Now, apparently, there's a lot we don't know about this family, but apparently God had them or commanded them to bring him sacrifices. We don't know all the details. We don't know if they were to bring God's sacrifices and then to burn them up or, or they were somehow consumed. We don't know a lot of the details, but we do know contextually that God had told at least Cain and Abel bring sacrifices before God. And so Abel, he worked with the livestock, he worked with animals, and what we're told is that Abel brought the fat portions, that's a fun term, fat portions before the Lord as his sacrifice. That's the best. That's the first fruits, all right? Have you heard that term, first fruits? To give God the first fruits, to give him the best. And so Abel brought the fat portion, right? Brought the first fruits, brought, do we like that term? Do we not? We don't like fat portion, do we? All right, I'll say first fruits. He brought the first fruits to God, and God was pleased with that sacrifice. Now, Cain, he worked in the fields, and we're told in Scripture that he brought some to God, not the best not the first fruits, but he brought some to the Lord as a sacrifice, and God favored Abel's sacrifice over Cain's sacrifice. And so how did Cain feel about that? He was sad. He was, it needed to be consoled. And so Father God speaks to Cain and says, Cain, Cain, if, if you want to receive favor, just, just give, just sacrifice. Bring the first fruits. Bring the best. Just do that. And so Cain's dealing with his jealousy, and he's got a choice to make. You know, next time it's, you know, the sacrifices are due, I'm going to bring the best to God. That's one choice he can make, but he doesn't do that. Instead, out of jealousy and anger, he kills Abel. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. The very first murder was brother between brother over jealousy, over God's favor. There's a, there's a lot to talk about. We'll save that for another day. Let's move on. We've got to move on. We're going to move on. We're going to move on to the time of Abram. Abram becomes Abraham, and God calls Abraham and says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. I'm going to turn you and your family, your wife, you're going to become the, the parents of a great nation. And so God calls Abraham away from his home, 
And, God, and Abraham actually listens to God and does this strange thing, and he moves to a foreign land, and God blesses Abraham for his obedience, and Abraham just, his, his wealth and his prosperity just grows and grows and grows, and he's got servants upon servants, and even his servants have servants, and he's got livestock, and he's got cattle, and he's got stuff. He just accumulates like a whole, he almost has like a little army that follows him. He's got security and all this, and so Abraham goes through a period where he is victorious in this conflict, and Abraham meets this guy named Melchizedek. Have you heard of Melchizedek? Any Melchizedek's here this morning? Show hands, right? It's always tough to find like a personalized lunchbox when your name is Melchizedek. Anyway, Melchizedek was both a priest of the Most High God and a king, the king of Salem, the king of peace, Salom, the king of peace, right? So he's the king of peace. He's a priest of the Most High God. And some, here's a fun fact, some people think that this guy Melchizedek was a theophany, a theophany, an appearance of God, a physical appearance of God in the Old Testament. Some people believe that this Melchizedek was a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus Christ in, a physical appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And what the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews tells us in the New Testament kind of supports that idea, right? So here we have this king of peace, this priest of the Most High God, and Abraham gives this man 10% of his wealth. And from what we understand, this was not compulsory, this was voluntary, Abraham meets this priest of God and gives to him this tenth. That's the first time we see this concept of tithe or a tenth. Now remember, this is before Moses. This is before the law. This was, this was a free will offering. He gave a tenth. And so we move forward in the timeline. We get to the time of Moses. We get to the time of the Ten Commandments. We get to the time, you know that beyond the Ten Commandments, there's like 600 other laws, okay? So we get there, and God gives the people laws for how to live their life. Uh, Israel becomes a nation. They were uh, initially a true theocracy. God their president. God was their king. God was their lawmaking body. He did it all, right? It was God, right? He gave them everything. So he gave them their laws to live. There was no separation between here's the, here are the laws of my state and here are the laws I'm supposed to follow that God gives me. Now, it was all the same for Israel initially, okay? And so as part of those commandments, as part of those laws, God told the people to give a tenth, to do this tithing. Now it became official. What started as unofficial now has become official. This is what you are to do, Israelites. Bring me the tenth. Bring me a tithe. Now, those of you who are good at math and know your Old Testament pretty well, you might realize that that tenth was just the beginning, that God commanded the people to actually give more to that and take care of the poor and all that, but we'll just deal with the tenth for now. So God tells, says to them, bring a tenth to me, all right? And so it becomes official at that point. Now, most of the Old Testament is this story of God nation of Israel and this complicated relationship that they have, and so they go back and forth and back and forth. And so God says, if you follow my commandments, I will bless you. If you disobey, I will curse you. It's just that plain. You obey, you're blessed. You disobey, you're cursed. And so what happens? They're enjoying a season of blessing, and God has provided for them, and so they appreciate all that, and then they get a little bit slack following God's laws. And they start to look to the other nations around them. They start to to their gods and say, man, we've got like 600 laws to follow. And look over there, their God is so easy. Maybe I just want to follow that God instead. And so their hearts stray from Father God and they start to crave. If I could only worship other gods, it seems easier. And so they do that and then they're cursed and they experience, they experience the consequences for their own disobedience. And then they repent, right? And then they repent, and then they're blessed, and then they forget, and then they're cursed. And so it goes back and forth like that for a time, and then finally God, God gets to a point where he's like, listen, how many times do you need to be warned? And so there is a period of time where, the, where God allows this to happen. He orchestrates it because of the disobedience of the Israelites. He sends in a foreign nation to oppress them, to take them 
captive. The Persians come in, they overtake the Israelites, they take them captive, and they have to receive the punishment for their disobedience. Well, as time moves on, the Persians come along and they overtake the Babylonians, and so the Persians are now in charge, and the Persians allow the Israelites to go back home. Go on back home. Go on back home. And so there's not a mad rush to go back home, but they start to trickle back home. They're on their way back home, and they have to reestablish themselves. As, well, they've got to reestablish Jerusalem as the holy city, and so Ezra and Nehemiah, they're there rebuilding this, and God sends prophets to this group of people that are trying to get reestablished. And one of the prophets that he sends is our friend Malachi. Take a look at this passage in your bulletin. So now we have the context for what's going on here. The people are back. The Israelites are back. And so this is God. Let's, let's be clear about this. This is God speaking a message through a prophet. And this message was specifically for the Israelites. Specifically for the Israelites at that time period. Here's what he says. And there's a couple things going on in this book of Malachi. Okay? There's a couple big issues that Malachi is dealing with. One is the issue of worship. The people were getting lazy about their worship and all this. And it's like, that's not right because God deserves our worship. Anyway, he still does, by the way. God still deserves our worship. So that was one of the issues that Malachi was addressing. <clears throat> but then the other thing was this tithing issue. So let's see what this says here. So these are the words of God communicated through Malachi it says, will a mere mortal rob God? So this passage is beginning with a question. God is setting up something here. And yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Now God could have packaged this teaching in any other way. He could have made this about selfishness. You guys are being selfish. You're holding on to more than you need. He could have made it about greed. Listen, guys, you're keeping more than you should. But he makes it about theft. He's like, there's something that belongs to me, and you are taking it from me, and you are claiming it as your own. That's robbing. That's stealing. That's theft. He makes it a theft issue. You're robbing me in tithes and offerings, and you're under a curse. You and your whole, I mean, your whole nation. Haven't we been through this before? You obey, you're blessed. You disobey, you're cursed. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Again, God, could, he can make it a generous. You're not being generous. No, no, no. He's saying, you're stealing. You're taking what's mine and claiming it as your own. You're stealing from me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So here's what was happening during this time, okay? In the time of Malachi. Some people just weren't doing the tithe thing at all. They weren't presenting any offerings before the Lord. They just kind of opted out. It's like, who's paying attention to this? Who's going to enforce this? I feel like I don't have to do this, so I'm not going to do this, all right? Other people genuinely were bringing the tithe, but then you had a lot of people who were kind of playing fast and loose with this whole tithing thing, right? They'd bring something before the Lord. So what is anybody going to know, right? Nobody knows how much money I make. Nobody knows what my harvest was like. I'll bring this. I'll call it 10%. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? Well, God, <laughs> he's going to know. And that's, so that's why he says bring the whole tithe. Like 10% is 10%. Bring the whole thing to me. Test me in this. Wait a minute, did I read that right? Yeah, God says, test me in this. Hang on, God, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't you tell us in Deuteronomy not to put you to the test? Didn't God say that? I mean, you can look it up if you want to. I think it's Deuteronomy, is it chapter 6 somewhere? Don't put the Lord your God to the test. But he said, well, you can test me in this. Test me in this capacity. Bring me that tithe. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. 
Test me in this. Bring that 10% to me and see if I don't bless you. Go ahead, try it. I dare you. Try it. Bring the tithe before the Lord. That's Malachi. That's God speaking to Israel. That's old covenant. See, there was an old covenant, an old agreement between God and the nation of Israel. But in that old covenant, we're told that there's going to be a new covenant, a better covenant that comes along and supersedes the old covenant. And this new covenant is not going to be just for Israel, but for all people. So Jeremiah tells us about this new covenant, that things will change. And once upon a time, you know, in that old covenant, the laws were written on stone tablets, but a time is coming of a new covenant, and the laws will be written on our hearts. There was a time in the old covenant where the, stone, the, the laws were written in stone and everything was compulsory. You had to do this, but a time is coming when the laws will be written on our hearts. And then comes Jesus into this world, the bridge between the old covenant and the new covenant. And he enters into this world, and on the Sermon on the Mountain, have I mentioned the Sermon on the Mountain before? You should really check it out, Matthew 5, 6, 7. On the Sermon on the Mountain, he addresses the people, and he says to them, listen, don't suppose, don't suppose that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Don't suppose that I've come to erase the old covenant. Right? Don't suppose that I've come to abolish, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, or to complete them. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He has completed, He has fulfilled the old covenant. He has fulfilled those promises. I mean, this is why we modern day believers, we don't bring animals to be slaughtered at some kind of altar in this building. We don't do that because Jesus was the once and all sacrifice. It was the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's why we don't do that anymore. And that's why we don't have to tithe. Got it? Don't miss that point. We are not forced to tithe. Tithing does not make us any more or less saved. You got it? We don't have to do it. So why do we? Why do people choose to tithe? If we don't have to do it, why do people choose to tithe? Oh, you tell me. You don't have to be here right now. You don't have to be watching online, and yet you're here. Why? You've made a choice, not because some law was written on a stone tablet, but you made a choice. This was a beneficial thing. God deserves your worship, and so you chose to participate in worship today. We don't have to read the Bible, do we? We don't have to, and yet many of us do, right? Reading the Bible doesn't make us any more or less saved. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but there's a benefit to reading the Bible. We become informed about our faith and how we should live. And that's why we say prayers, and that's why we tithe, and that's why we engage in all sorts of disciplines, because there is a benefit to them. The command, you must tithe, that's not for us. That was from God to the nation of Israel. The command is gone, but the promise of God remains. The command is gone, but the promise remains. Test me in this. Try me in this. If you bring me that 10%, you will experience some sort of blessing. Now, here's where I need to make an important point. Because over the years, there have been church leaders and there have been pastors that have kind of manipulated this text. And they have led people to believe, or sometimes outright stated, that if you give a tithe to the church, God will make you rich. No, that is not the promise of God. It's a blessing. Can that blessing manifest itself in riches? I mean, yeah, it can. It's not excluding wealth. It's not excluding it. 
But God doesn't promise, if you follow me, you're going to be safe. He doesn't follow that. He doesn't promise that. He doesn't say, if you give me a tithe, then you're going to be rich. He doesn't say that either. He says that you will be blessed. There are lots of different ways that we experience as a church blessing. You know, we're members of the church. We bring God that tithe. And then we have those baptism Sundays, and we stand up here, and you see somebody baptized, confessing Christ as Savior. That's a blessing. There's no financial gain, but that's a huge blessing that we get to experience as a church together. We are blessed in many ways by God. And so I feel like it's time for some props. What do you say? Prop day at Hope Community Church? All right, let's do it. Three people are excited. That's all I need. Here we go. Prop day at Hope Community Church. Okay. Now, those of you who have been with us for a while, you might recognize some of these props because I'm not very creative. <clears throat> I stole this visual aid from... Well, I didn't steal it. I borrowed it. I borrowed this from uh, Andy Stanley, our close personal friend. And this is how Andy lays out our, our, our finances and our priorities and all this. And so we're going to take a look at some ways that we people, we human beings, can arrange our financial priorities. Okay, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at how we can arrange our financial priorities. Because there's a way that honors God, and there's a way that does not honor God. There's a way that is wise, and there's a way that is foolish. All right, so let's look. There are a few different ways that we can use our money, spend our money, invest our money. And so here's one of our categories. We can <clears throat> live, all right? Now, anytime, anytime we part ways with money, we should think of it as an investment. That's what I think, right? We're always making investments. You buy some food, you're making an investment in your life. You're paying your mortgage bill, you're making an investment in your shelter, right? Always think of parting, money, parting ways with money as an investment. And so here's one of the categories we can pay our bills. That's something we can do with our money. We all agree about that? Paying your energy bill, heating bill before too long. Ugh. Here we go. Here's something else we can do. <clears throat> we can save our money. That's making an investment as well. You can save for different things, but the big thing is retirement, right? It's to acknowledge that one day you're not going to be able to work, you know, if, if that's God's will. I mean, there's so many things we don't know about, but to plan for the future. So one day I'm going to be too old to do this job, and so I want to be prepared for that. So save is another thing we can do. Of course, the third category that our friend Andy gives us is we can give. And so here are the three categories of spending, three different ways that we can invest our money. And the question is, how should we arrange these priorities? Now, without thinking about it, without being intentional, it seems extremely obvious. Well, doesn't live need to come first? Because if I'm not alive, how can I do this other stuff, right? Don't I need to pay my bills first? Don't I need to take care of all that stuff? And so a lot of people, again, without thinking about honoring God, without any intentionality, would assume, well, this, this just needs to come first. It just makes sense. So the question is, well, what comes next? All right, I've paid my bills. Then what should I do? Then should I give? Then should I invest my money into, I don't know, the work of God in my community? Then should I invest my money into the work that some wonderful organizations are doing or trying to cure cancer or trying to, to give people clean water that don't have access to it? Should this come next or should this come next? Well, I'll tell you what, if I don't do this, if I don't do this, then when it comes time for retirement, I might be a financial burden to somebody else, so I guess it should be live first and then maybe save next. And then, then with what's left over, with what's left over, then I can see if there's any, I mean, there might not be enough, but if there's some left, then I can pull a cane and give the leftovers to God, give the leftovers away. So this is problematic. Maybe, maybe it just kind of makes sense, but it's also, 
it's also problematic. Let me tell you one of the reasons why this is problematic. It has to do with this category here, because so many of us, especially those of us who live in America or live in a first world nation, so many of us have a difficult time uh, differentiating between what is live, what's a necessary expense, and what is a non-essential, okay? We have a tough time in our culture being able to tell the difference between what we need to live and what's a non-essential expense, right? Food, come on. Live, right? Obviously. You get your chicken, you got your sweet potatoes, you got your broccoli. It's disgusting, but you eat it because it's good for you. You're making an investment in your health. You got to have food and your ice cream and your cake. Wait a minute. Is that, I mean, it's in the food category, but is that an essential kind of thing? That's, that's probably not an essential, okay? And so there's a difference between essentials and non-essentials, what we need to live and what we don't need. We got our bills to pay. We got the, the water bill. Well, I need water. That just makes sense. I got to live. It's a necessity. I've got my rent or my mortgage. I got to pay that. That's a necessity. I need a shelter. need shelter. Come on, goodness gracious. I've got my internet, internet, internet. Uh, well, I mean, I'm working from home and I need, listen, I got to have the internet to live. I got to have the internet to work. So that's a life thing. I got to live. And then, of course, there's my cable bill. Do I need, do I need a cable? Uh, not really. And so we go back and forth. We have a tough time knowing the difference between these two categories. I need a car. I got to get where I'm going. And there's no train that goes to my work, so I need a car. But do I need that car that's that expensive and those monthly payments? Do I need that? And I need to go on vacation. Listen, Bible says you got to take a Sabbath. You need a break. We need to go on vacation. That's essential, Right? But do I need to go on that vacation and spend that much money? Goodness gracious, back and forth. What about Netflix? Got to have Netflix. Uh, but um Not essential. Not essential. And we go back and forth with stuff like this, and we have such a tough time. Goodness gracious, as Americans, America's the only country where you hear somebody say, I'm so poor I can't even afford my cable bill. Are you kidding me? Goodness gracious, we have a tough time with these things. And if we don't figure out the difference between these two, we might not get to any other categories. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. And so let's try to arrange our finances in a way that honors God. Let's do it the Abel way. Let's do it the Abraham way. It starts with give. It starts with give. Not because we're forced to, but because we choose to because we want to make an investment in the kingdom of God, right? We know that what we have, listen, we've earned it, we've worked hard for it, but at the same time, it's also a blessing from God. God's allowed us to earn what we have. And so we give back as a sign of faith, as a sign of trust. We give back to God, believing that God will multiply our gifts and put them to work in our community. We give back. Then what comes after that? One of these two, I feel like. What comes after that? Now, if you spend enough time in the book of Proverbs, we're really taught about the importance of saving and being prepared for what happens next. And so this just seems wise to after we give, then to save for tomorrow. It's also an exercise in humility to acknowledge, again, there might be a day and there probably will be a day where I'm too old to work and earn, and so I need to save for what's next. I need to save for what's next. Here's the big thing, though, about this category. We need to make sure that whatever gets put in this category, that God has given access to it. Because we might be saving for our retirement, that God might say to you, hey, listen, I need you to pay for that guy's education. Or I need you to pay off that person's mortgage. Oh God, this was for me. And this... No, listen, we just, saving's wise, but make sure you give God access to what you're saving. 
because he might surprise you with what he calls you to do with it. All right? And so we've got give, we've got save, and then, of course, then we live. And if, if there's money left over, which can be a pretty big if, then, then there, there's your Netflix. All right? There's your vacation that's maybe an upgrade. Right? That, that comes last, right? And this needs to come last because if something's got to go, it's got to be this. If something's got to go, it's got to be this category. And so, let's do props upon props. Let's give ourselves some numbers here. Make this nice and clear. Number one, give. Two, save. Three, live. Four, non-essentials. Now, I just so happen to have some money in my pocket. Let's see how much I have here. Got some ones, some COVID cash here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, here we go. Ten dollars. Let me tell you something about this ten dollars. It's mine. I earned it. I worked for it. But at the same time, it's a blessing from God. If not for God, I would not have this. I owe it all to God. And so I'm going to freely, not because I have to, but I'm going to freely give a tenth back to God. And look how much I still have left. Oh my, oh my. Ooh, I do declare, right? I still got nine right here. All right? And so I need to be prepared. I mean, listen, I, I, I want to believe that I could go on forever like this, but every time I look in the mirror, there's another gray hair, and like, I've got to be prepared for what's next. And so I'll save for tomorrow, and then I've got my bills to pay, and I've got my water bill, and I've got my housing bills, and so there's a lot that needs to go. Wait a minute. Woo! I still have one left. Well, I could put that over here. I could put that where? where what could I do with this? You know what? I'll go ahead and splurge right there. But if there's not enough left, shh, so be it. Here, listen, because here's the category where we're getting ourselves into trouble anyway, isn't it? Right? Here's the category where we buy stuff we couldn't afford in the first place and we can't afford to take care of, Right? Now, there's a very old saying that I made up is that you don't need money to sin, but it helps, right? This is the sin category of spending if we're not careful. And so that's fine. And so here's what it looked like. Oh, we've got money there. Here's what it looks like to honor God with our wealth, to honor God with our finances. Now, whenever I do this, there's always a few people that want to push back and say, I can't. I can't do it. If I gave a tenth here and a tenth here, by the time I get to this category, I won't have enough money to pay my bills. Now, that's either reality or it's perception, and I'm not going to be judgmental. I don't know what's going on in your life. That's either reality or it's perception. Maybe you actually can afford to do this. It's just a matter of not knowing the difference between these two things, right? So maybe that's the case. But if it's real, if you gave a tenth here and a tenth here and don't have enough to live when it gets to this category, that's a pretty clear sign that you're living beyond your means, okay? And I don't say that to be judgmental because here's the thing, most of us Americans are living beyond our means, but we can take a hold of that. We can downsize. We can do this. And so this is what it looks like to honor God with our wealth. Let me get some hand sanitizer, all right? Touching money. This is what it looks like to honor God with our wealth. Let me throw some challenges out there to you, okay? Let me talk to the people who do tithe. You're already doing this thing. I want to challenge you to ask yourself a question. You don't have to answer me. You don't have to answer. I'm challenging you to ask yourself a question. Are you hiding behind the tithe? 
Because here's the thing that some Christians do. They say, you know what? I give my tenth to God. What more do you want from me? I'm not, not going to serve. I'm not going to be active in my community. I'm not going to help other people. I'm not going to, like, volunteer. No, not to, I'm just going to give my... That's enough. What more do you want from me? And that's an attitude that some of us believers can take. And so I want to challenge you to ask yourself the question, are you hiding behind the tithe? Now let me talk to the people that don't tithe, okay? The believers that don't tithe. If you're not a believer, you shouldn't be tithing anyway. Let me talk to the believers that don't tithe. I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself a question. Why don't I do this? Don't answer me. Don't send me an email. I'm not going to read it. I don't want your answers. This is for you to ask yourself. Why? Why don't I do this? Let's see what kind of answers you come up with. Let me talk to the believing couples in the room, the husbands and the wives. I'd like to throw a very specific challenge out to our married couples today. You ready for it? For our married couples that are believers that don't yet tithe. Here it is. Let's start with the wives. Here's the challenge. At dinner tonight, you ready, ladies? At dinner tonight, ask your husband, hey, why don't we tithe? That's the challenge. And see what kind of conversations you have. Husbands, here's my challenge to you. Before dinner time, ask your wife, okay? Little friendly competition between husbands and wives, right? Because she's going to ask you at dinner time. You, you ask her first, right? And have that conversation. You don't need to answer me. You don't need to answer God. Just to have that. I'm challenging you to have the conversation. Why don't we do this? If the only reason, listen, if the only reason you don't want to do this tithe thing is you're just not comfortable with this church, it's like, yeah, I know I believe in this tithe stuff and it seems like a good idea and I want to honor God with my finances. I'm just not sure about Hope Community Church. I'm not sure about the pastor there. I know it's not denominational, but it's also independent. I'm just not, I don't know if I trust these people. Listen, there's a solution for that. Go tithe somewhere else. Da, da, da. We're not the only church in town. Go find a church that you do trust and are comfortable giving to. Don't, don't let us be the thing that stops you from tithing. Go somewhere else. And tithe there. Tithe to a place that you can trust and follow your money there and serve there and be a part of that. Don't let us stop you from doing that. We, as a church, we want to honor God with our finances. We want to. We want to honor God with every aspect of our lives. Now, this, this whole how we handle our finances and the laws concerning how we handle our finances, they are no longer written on stone tablets. The laws are written on our hearts. We are no longer forced by the law that God gave the Israelites to give a tithe. We have the free will to choose to tithe, to choose to give back to God. And when we, of our own free will, when we choose to honor God with our wealth, we are the ones that benefit our families, our churches, and our community. When we handle our finances God, God's way, we are the ones that experience the blessing. Let's pray on that. Father God, we want to thank you for everything that you've given us. Thank you, Father God. It's all from you. However much or however little we have, we acknowledge that it's all from you. Father God, we want to invite you into our lives. We want to allow you to shape and, and reshape and remold our perspective on wealth, our perspective on money. And Father God, we thank you. Father, I thank you for the many people who believe in the work that you're doing right here in this community. Continue to challenge us to give more to you. Continue to bless us so that we can do your work 
in this community. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.